Do I have this on? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Well, good morning. good morning. I'm always more thankful Sunday morning at, uh, I see they put up a new clock, 11.10, than I am the week before, because I'm usually pretty nervous. And actually, uh, Aaron just finished a whole series of uh, sermons on worship, and uh, I had developed one because I knew that th this day was coming, he would be a gone, and I would have a sermon to give you, and then the last minute, uh, uh, um, he used the scripture last week that I was planning to use, and I knew it the week before, and we talked about it, so I started to seek what God would have me to share, because that was my sermon on worship, and uh, it uh, became very difficult. So as the week went through, the last 10 days or so, I prayed and uh, sought God, and I had a whole passage two different times. I had a passage that I was going to preach on, and God changed it. And as um, John said today, when I came in here in the temperature, uh, I felt for sure that God was telling me to preach on hell. So uh, uh, it's a lot more hot up here than it is there with this jacket and those lights blaring at me, but I'll do my best. But I want to thank you for uh, your encouragement. Several of you said, hey, we're praying for you today. Um, I need that because uh, really we need to hear from God, not from Robert Wright. So, but uh, I love this church. I love uh, 11 years ago when God told us to come for six months and do youth ministry, that uh, we're still interim, and uh, that God has allowed me to teach and to, to, to watch uh, students grow. And uh, I just appreciate all the love that you guys have showed us through the years. Um, today I want to talk about uh, the title of my message is, What's Your Heartbeat? What's Your Heartbeat? Now Aaron will tell you when he comes back that I changed that three or four times, and it is true, because that says, how is the beat of your heart? Um, but I changed it, made it shorter, and said, what's your heartbeat? We all know what a heart is, don't we? It's that muscular organ in our chest that pumps blood throughout our, our bodies. That pumping's critical for our life. It provides our body with needed nutrients and oxygen. It assists in removing waste from our body. Without it, what happens? There's no life. We don't have life. That's right. As that heart pulses, medical instruments today can hear it. That sound is our heartbeat. It reflects perfectly what is physically happening inside of us. The doctor takes out that stethoscope and listens. What are they listening for? A regular beat. Something without murmurs. The doctor hopes that there's no whooshing sounds. He hopes it doesn't skip a beat. And it doesn't have any additional noise. He doesn't want to hear a leaking valve, does he? He wants to hear bump, 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 consistently, continuously. I remember when Trish was pregnant with all three of our girls, when it was time to go and the, the heart had developed enough that it was detectable with uh, ultrasound technology, we couldn't wait to hear that sound. And the sound that I remember was, whoo, whoo, And we knew that that baby was alive, that our babies had life. Today we use the word uh, heart uh, in a different manner as well when we talk about the center of stuff. We say in the heart of the city, meaning the center culturally, uh, sometimes not the physical center, but the importance of the city. Likewise, in our body, when we talk about the heart, we're talking about what's important in our life. And just as we have a physical heart and heartbeat, 
we also have a spiritual heart and heartbeat. So today when I ask, how's your heartbeat? I'm really talking about, how's your spiritual heartbeat? What's that sound like? What's it sound like to you? And what's it sound like to God? Is it pumping life within you? In the Beatitudes, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In our passage today that we're going to read, the context of the scripture is Mark 7. Mark 7 has a dialogue between Jesus and some Pharisees. The Pharisees have left their comfort, uh, prestigious location of Jerusalem, and they've made their way up to Galilee, ready to point out to Jesus where he is wrong. In this chapter, Jesus is about to reject the Pharisees' traditions and interpretations of the, of the law in three specific areas. First thing he's going to attack in Mark 7 is the interpretation of ceremonial washing of one's hands before eating. Evidently, the disciples had started to eat without washing their hands. Now, I know that it's good to wash your hands because my mom beat that into me as a child, that it's not good to eat without it. But the Pharisees uh, were saying that it makes one unclean and and defiled, and they were stuck on that law. The second law that he kind of attacks is where the Pharisees and scribes would pick and choose what they thought was more important. That was a habit of theirs. Sometimes I think uh, we do that in our own life, but they would try and justify not following a law because there was another law of importance. In this particular instance, they were uh, determining whether it was okay to not take care of aged parents because they had devoted something to God. That was situational ethics of its kind in the first century. Then Jesus returns with the third example to talk about kosher foods and what we take in and whether or not a non-kosher food would defile a man. For today's message, we're going to pick up in in chapter 7, verse 14 of Mark, and I'll read it for you. The Bible says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, I'm going to read from here, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had heard the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask today for your presence, for your teaching. Right now, God, as we examine the truth of scriptures, we ask that your Holy Spirit examines each of our hearts. God, we ask that you give us direction for each and every one of us. Father, we we want to be like Jesus. And today we ask that you perform heart surgery on us to mold us more into your image. And that from being here in worship today, we would be more like you. Help us to see you in the name of Jesus. Amen. The first thing I like to point out from this scripture is a heart that is right with God is not about rituals and rules. It's not about rituals and rules. Am I saying that it's okay not to obey God's commandments, laws, the things he says? No, that's not what I'm saying. Of course not. Because Jesus tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is is necessary and is important. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees specific about how they thought about things. He was addressing their attitude rather than the rules. 
they were known for following rules when it was convenient and not because it was the right thing to do. It wasn't because of what God had done in their heart that they were following the rules, but it was in an effort to achieve something for God by following the rules. In this chapter, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29, 13 and applies the condemnation to the Pharisees. If you have your Bible open, you look down a little bit before in verses 6 and 7. He, that is Jesus, replied and said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teacher, teachings are merely human rules. Jesus is saying, don't honor God with your lips, but give him your heart. The Pharisees were all about compliance, but nothing about submission. John Bunyan once said in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. It is better to have a heart without words than a words without a heart. Aaron's taught us the last few weeks about that worship is really just a reflection or a response of us to God, to what God has al already done. One key response is that we do obey God. But our response is not following commands, but understanding the reason behind why we follow the commands and doing this. The concept of obedience is not new. It's found in both the Old and New Testament. It means to hear and hearken to a higher authority. From the time my girls were babies, I always tried to tell them, do the right thing. I learned that concept from a guy named Gary and his wife, Anne-Marie Izzo. They wrote books for parenting in the 1990s. We took them. We studied them, looking forward to the toddler years, growing kids God's way, reaching the heart of your teen. The Izzo said, as a parent, don't just tell your kids what to do, but tell them the moral reason why. The advice is good in child-rearing. It's good in the work environment. It's good in disagreements. And it's good in life. I believe that is what Jesus is telling the Pharisees here in this passage. The Pharisees put on this appearance of being godly, but it was only lip service. Jesus is saying, God does not want you just to ritually follow the rules, but to give them your heart. This truth is illustrated in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16 because of Saul, King Saul's disobedience, and truly because his heart did not belong to God, God's about to make a change in the kingship. He's about to take it from Saul and his line and give it to David and his line. Why? The scripture records in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16 that says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, meaning Saul's, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God calls David a man after his own image. A man after his own heart. You know what's an interesting thing is? David's going to fall here in the near future, isn't he? He's going to have a sin with Bathsheba, and he's going to have Uriah died. That's all to come. But God still knew that David's heart was his, even though he would commit sin. Does God know that about us? God knows Robert's going to sin. I guarantee you I'm going to sin. Uh, maybe before this, day, this hour is over. But certainly today, I'm going to sin, and I'm going to do it over and over again. But the question is not whether I'm going to sin. The, what, the question is whether I'm letting him have my heart, and I'm letting him take care of that sin in my heart. In the book of Acts, 
there's a verse known as a com composite quotation. It was, un it was very common for a rabbi to combine multiple verses in the Old Testament. In this case, the Apostle Paul, he's going to take 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Psalm 89, 20 and put them together. And he's going to describe David. Acts 22, 13 says, And when he had removed him, meaning Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. God wants our hearts. Yes, a heart that is right with God is not about the ritual and rule. It's about the heart being right with God. But secondly, boom, go Logan. Our hearts need to be refined from the inside out. Let me remind you of the words from Mark 7 that I read earlier. Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile them. Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? You see, our hearts are God's, depending on what's on the inside. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Jesus asks us, what is your heart clinging to? Even King David, that man after God's own heart, needed refinement, didn't he? Psalm 51.10, he cried out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Every one of us has sin, and our sin is against God. From the first garden of the Bible, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, to today, we choose to sin. Malachi 3.3 says, He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. Offering, offerings of righteousness to the Lord. When he refines us, that's what we give him. This verse puzzled some woman, women in a Bible study. They wondered, what was this sta statement? What did it mean? One of the women offered to find out. So that next week she set out in the process of figuring out what refining silver really meant and she was going to get back to the group at their next Bible study. That woman, she called a silversmith, made an appointment to watch him at work. She didn't bother to tell him why. She didn't mention any reason for her interest besides the curiosity of the process of refining silver. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire, not with his hands, obviously. He let it heat it up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire, where the flames were the hottest, is to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Then she thought again about the verse that says, He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith, Is it true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time while the silver was being refined? The man answered, Yes. He had to sit there holding the silver because he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left for a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent as she thought about this for a moment. She asked, How do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and said, Oh, that's easy. It's when I see my image in it. That is what God does as He refines us. He keeps refining us. He keeps 
us in the fire, the refining process, until he can see his image in us. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's what the verse in Malachi said, that after he refines us, we can bring him offerings of righteousness. You and I need to be refined. We need to be changed from the inside out. I have a, a slight problem. Uh, early in the 1990s, I noticed that uh, I would, uh, had what I thought was dry skin. It's eczema. And this itchy feeling just comes all over my body. And uh, especially when I'm stressed, when something's going on at work, you can find me, I'm reaching down at my ankles, my legs are the worst, or my, shoulder, my arms, all around. And uh, I, I found out it's kind of hereditary in my family by, uh, by chance, but I found myself scratching and scratching, and the only cure for that was to make my body bleed. And just scratch and scratch until that skin came off, and I bled, and my body bruised. I tried every piece of advice from the doctors, and I tried every piece of advice from my friends and family who thought they were doctors. <laughs> Nothing seemed to work. I went to the, the dermatologist, and uh, I had tried things off the shelf, my mom had said. They didn't work, and they sent me, and I got prescriptions, and they didn't work. Why didn't they work? Because I was putting them on the outside. Finally, about a year ago, the dermatologist asked me, uh, she said, you want to try something new because your legs look terrible. In fact, uh, as coaching track, you usually want to wear shorts during practice. I had gotten to the point where I was just wearing full-length sweats because I was so embarrassed of my legs. She said, you want to try something else because you have a pretty bad case. And I thought about it. And I said, sure, anything can help because this itching is killing me. She said, this new medicine is showing promise. So I took it. What I found out is the, prom the problem is, is this new medicine is a shot. There's two things I'm allergic to, needles and guns. This is a needle. And I had to give this to myself. So the first time uh, I did it, I think I, you have to put it in your stomach or your arm or in your thigh where you have some, some skin. And the uh, first time I couldn't do it. Fortunately, we have two nurses in our neighborhood. The nurse across the street, uh, she was willing to come and give me this shot. And so every other Saturday night for the last 16 weeks, she's come and give the shot. Um, there were two times where she didn't give the shot. One, I managed to do it. I was proud of myself. Scared to death, but I was proud of myself. And then the second time was two weeks ago. I got it right up to my stomach, was ready to go in. I had touched my stomach, and I couldn't do it. She was not home, but she came over later. We held it. And I, I always tell Trish, because I'm chicken, I said, can you call? Can you call Jennifer? <laughs> so she comes over and gives me the shot. But you know what the amazing thing is? It puts the medicine on the inside, and it's clearing the eczema up because it's changing it from the inside up, inside out. That's what it's designed to do. That's what God is designing in ourself. We try to put all kinds of creams and everything on are external with good works and things like that, and put it on. But what we really need is a heart that's refined by God on the inside. And it's not just that first time when we ask Jesus into our hearts. It's each and every time, every day of our life, we ask God, continue to refine me, continue to work on me from the inside out. It works for everyone. The meanest man in the Texas prison system in the 1940s was a man who earned the title, the meanest man in Texas. His real name was Clyde Thompson. Thompson was the son of a minister, 
17 years old, he was out with his brothers and he was convicted of a two-time murder of his brothers. He was the youngest man in Texas ever to be given the death sentence. Before, but six hours before he was set to die, his sentence was commuted to life in prison. After that, Thomas Thompson had engineered three escape attempts. He had murdered two other fellow inmates. He was the meanest guy in Texas. He was labeled incorrigible and given a solitary confinement in a cell. Thompson, at one point, was given a Bible to read. He initially probed that book. He was going to prove that people who believed it were fools. Failing at that, he later came to believe what the Bible said and started seeking God from his prison cell. A minister from a local church asked his congregants to send Christmas cards to inmates. Thompson received a Christmas card from a woman in the church. She ended up becoming his advocate. After 28 years, 10, 12 years later than, than when he got that Christmas card, he was released from prison. Once released, he spent the rest of his life serving as a minister until he died in 1979, about 20 years. Why? Because he had change from the inside out. We can be refined, but it happens from the inside out. My final point today is our hearts should reflect Jesus who lives in us. Our hearts should reflect Jesus who lives in us. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, passage from the Old Testament prophet says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He was talking about the country of Israel. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes statutes and carefully observe my ordinances in the book of john chapter 3 verse 30 after that uh, time where he was uh, speaking with nicodemus and we know that famous verse john three sixteen. a little later in the chapter uh, there's a, a verse that simply says he must increase and i must decrease the background of that passage is people were worried hey john the baptist isn't baptizing as many people as this jesus guy is so they went to him and John said, he must increase, and I must decrease. You know, that's true for each and every one of us. Jesus must increase, and we must de decrease. Last week, Aaron preached on Romans 12, 1 and 2, our lives and how we live them as a response to who Jesus is. In John, 1 John 2, 5, 6, I love this verse. A seminary professor in Southwestern wrote a book that he named after this verse but it says by this we may know that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked he called his book to walk as Jesus walked several years ago my friend Ray Wagerman shared this illustration with me a group of salesmen went to a regional sales convention in Chicago they had assured their wives that they would be home in plenty of time for Friday night's dinner. In their rush, with their tickets and briefcase in hand, running to that plane, one of the salesmen inadvertently kicked over a table which held a display of apples. Apples flew everywhere. Without stopping or looking back, they managed to reach the plane in time for the nearly missed boarding. All of them but one. He paused. He took a deep breath. He got in touch with his feelings, expressed a twinge of compassion for that girl, her apple stand had been overturned. He told his buddies, go on ahead. Go on without me. Wave goodbye. 
He told one of them to call his wife. And when he arrived home, to call his wife and explain that he was taking a later flight. And he reluctantly turned back to the terminal where the girl's table was overturned. There were apples all over the floor. But he was glad he did. That 16-year-old girl was totally blind. She was softly crying, tears running down her cheeks, frustration. At the same time, she was helplessly groping for her spilled produce as the crowd swirled around her. No one stopping, no one caring for her plight. The salesman knelt on the floor with her, gathered up the apples, put them back on the table, helped her organize her display. And as he did this, he noticed that one of them, that some of them, many of them, had become battered and bruised. He set them aside in their own basket. And when he had finished, he pulled out from his wallet. He said to the girl, here, please take this $40 for the damage we've done. Are you okay? She nodded through her tears. And he continued, I hope we didn't spoil your day too badly. As the salesman finished and started to walk away, the bewildered girl, the blind girl, called out to him, Mister? He paused and turned back into those blind eyes. She continued, Are you Jesus? He stopped in mid-stride and he wondered. He gently went back. No, I am nothing like Jesus. He is good and kind and caring. He's loving. He would have never bumped into your stand in the first place. The girl gently nodded. I only asked. I only asked because I prayed for Jesus to help me gather the apples. And he sent you to help me. So you are like him. Only he knows who will do his will. Thank you for he hearing me. Thank you for hearing his call. Mister. He slowly made his way to catch that later flight with that question burning and bouncing around in his soul. Are you Jesus? Are you Jesus? Do people mistake you for Jesus? That's our destiny, is it not? To be so much like Jesus that people cannot tell the difference as we live and interact with a world that is blind to his love, his life, and his grace. If we claim to know him, we should live and walk and act as he would. 1 John 2, 5 and 6. Knowing him is more than simply quoting scripture and going to church. It's actually living the word as life unfolds day to day. You are the apple of his eye, even though we too have been bruised by a fall. He stopped what he was doing and he picked up you and me on that hill called Calvary and paid in full for our damaged fruit. Do we live like Jesus? Are we like Jesus? Does he really have our heart? Listen to these scriptures and you decide what is your heartbeat. For where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Logan, go ahead, go to the, the picture with the, there you go. And the peace of God, which suppresses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God the Father. And at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. He who loves purity of the heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. For the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth to, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. As the water reflects, as, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart reflects the man. In a moment, we're going to pray. And we're going to have a time, as we normally do, for you to choose to respond to what I've shared today, what God has spoke through me into your life, hopefully.